Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're recording this discussion on Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. And my guest on the program here is Westchester County Executive George Latimer. He's a Democrat who took office as County Executive in Westchester in January 2018. He's since been reelected to a second and final term as term limits are at play. When he won the office, office in 2017 coming from the New York State Senate. He flipped the county executive position from Republican to Democrat, ousting incumbent at the time, Rob Astorino, who folks may know as a Republican gubernatorial nominee in the past and then a Republican gubernatorial candidate again in this most recent election. Uh, County Executive Latimer joining the show here in just a minute to discuss what's happening in Westchester County, its relationship to New York City. It's, of course, the suburban county just north of the city, just north of the Bronx, and has a very special relationship with the five boroughs. Many people who uh, live in Westchester and work at companies based in the city, uh, people from the city, of course, all the time visiting Westchester or moving to Westchester, uh, experiencing some of what it has to offer there in the lower Hudson Valley, uh, and, and a lot of interesting pieces of the relationship between Westchester and the city. But also having County Executive Latimer on to discuss how his much more blue uh, Democratic county relates to other suburbs of the city, especially the two counties on Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk, which have been trending a bit more Republican recently. They, they've been more Republican than Westchester uh, for, for a long time, but Westchester has been trending more Democratic even in most cases in recent elections, while the Long Island suburbs of the city have been moving more to the right. It depends which elections you're comparing and all that, but there's a lot of interesting things happening in suburban politics, not only in recent elections, although very much so there, especially in the 2022 gubernatorial race where Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, won her first election as governor, but in a fairly narrow race with Republican Lee Zeldin, who is from Long Island and some of the challenges that Hochul had there, but also getting Democrats out and then reaching uh, the independent and the swing voters. So a lot of interesting suburban politics in elections, but then also even more recently with the governor's big sweeping housing proposal that we've talked a lot about on this show. And if you're not a regular listener, you can find a variety of conversations in the podcast feed at Max Politics related to housing policy and the governor's big housing proposal that was not passed this year, in part due to opposition in the suburbs. But County Executive Latimer has a lot of thoughts on on that and housing in Westchester, but also how Westchester politically differs from the Long Island suburbs and uh, other interesting thoughts. I wanted to catch up with him. It's also just ahead of his 2023 State of the County Address, which he'll deliver on Thursday, June 29th. So you can tune in for that if you're listening to this before that or catch highlights of it or uh, recaps of it in the news. If you're listening to this after he's delivered, I'm sure you can find video or again, uh, you know, some some summary of it in the news. Um, County Executive George Latimer with me in just a minute. I just want to take a moment here quickly to say uh, for those uh, familiar with the podcast, familiar with my work, familiar with Gotham Gazette. 
on Monday, June 26th, the day before we're recording this, Citizens Union Foundation, uh, the publisher of Gotham Gazette, announced that Gotham Gazette will pause publication effective July 1st. Myself and other members of our editorial team will be moving on, looking for our next opportunities. Uh, I've been with Gotham Gazette for more than nine years. It's been a great run. I'm very appreciative to Citizens Union Foundation, to the many people at Gotham Gazette I've worked with over the years, past and present, uh, and our great team, and of course, our readers. Uh, So very, very grateful for that. Uh, Citizens Union Foundation uh, is saying they plan to relaunch and iterate a new iteration of Gotham Gazette in the coming months, so stay tuned for that, and I hope you continue reading Gotham Gazette when that becomes uh, an option. We're publishing some great stuff in this final week of June here, both uh, reporting and our guest opinion pieces, and of course, these podcasts. Also this week on the podcast, my other episode this week is with New York City Comptroller Brad Lander talking about city budget negotiations. So if you're interested in that, check that out as well. And we've had many great guests in recent weeks and months here on the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, uh, as I am departing Gotham Gazette, I will be continuing to do the podcast on my own here in the coming months and have some great guests lined up for uh, July and into August. And we'll be doing podcast episodes uh, throughout the summer as I'm figuring out my next step more broadly. So please do subscribe to Max Politics wherever you get podcasts if you haven't already. And stay tuned for more uh, in-depth conversations on New York politics, government, and public policy as we have here on Max Politics. Uh, and very happy to be bringing you this one with Westchester County Executive George Latimer. But again, thanks for reading Gotham Gazette. Please continue to do so this week and then into the future. And please do continue listening to Max Politics here. And I'm looking forward to continuing it on my own and then perhaps at wherever my next stop winds up being. A little bit more about Westchester County before I bring on County Executive George Latimer, who I said, again, is a Democrat who took office as County Executive in January 2018. He came from the state Senate and before that, the Assembly. He's been in elected office for decades. He's never lost an election, uh, which is pretty interesting, especially when he's run in some areas of Westchester that are a little bit more uh, purple than many parts of uh, New York City. Uh, Westchester County has uh, six cities, 19 towns, and 20 villages. According to its website, it has roughly 1 million people. Uh, It is a pretty democratic uh, uh, county just north of New York City, just north of the Bronx. Pretty special relationship with New York City, as I mentioned. In terms of Voter registration, for example, Westchester County, uh, as of the most recent numbers published by the State Board of Elections in February of this year, 2023, had about 650,000 registered voters. Uh, Roughly half of those voters are Democrats. That's roughly 325,000. Only 127,000 or so Republicans and Republicans pretty significantly outnumbered by blanks, independent voters, unaffiliated voters, voters who are registered to vote, but not with a party at about 165,000 independents in Westchester. And that mirrors, you know, a lot of other parts of the state that are a lot more Democrats than Republicans and independent, unaffiliated voters have actually surpassed Republicans uh, across the state. And that includes in Westchester County. Some of the biggest uh, cities and towns in Westchester led by Yonkers, also New Rochelle, Mount Vernon, White Plains, and a number of other uh, 
places that are familiar to folks. Westchester County, not only a very interesting place politically, uh, but also when it comes to these policy discussions around things like housing growth and some of the questions around whether the New York City suburbs like Westchester, like Nassau, like Suffolk are doing enough to contribute to housing growth and accommodating population growth in New York, affordable housing, uh, integration, diversity, uh, affordability, and making sure that people who want to live in New York can do so, taking some pressure off the five boroughs, perhaps, and making sure that there's enough housing in the suburbs. A lot of these conversations coming to the fore this year with Governor Hochul's housing plan, as I mentioned. So we get into some of that with County Executive Latimer here in this conversation. Westchester, again, really interesting on a number of fronts that we get into, including the fact that it has um, some of the sort of wealthiest and most exclusive uh, towns and, and parts of the state. There's a huge income tax base in Westchester of some of the, the wealthiest individuals and highest earners in the state. Many of those people either running or working at companies based in New York City, but we know how commuting patterns have changed during COVID. So a lot of interesting dynamics there in the relationship uh, between West Chester and the city and the entire state. So a really good conversation here with County Executive Latimer. All right. So I'm very pleased to be joined on the show here today by Westchester County Executive George Latimer. County Executive Latimer, thanks for joining me. How are you? Good. Thanks, Ben. And it's a pleasure to be talking to you directly. I'm a regular listener of the podcast. Enjoy your work. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, really glad we could work out the time to speak here. Westchester, obviously, such a close relationship with New York City. And as we mostly focus on New York City and then state governmental affairs, uh, the city suburbs uh, come into play all the time. And we've seen that so much with some of the discussions around uh, elections, obviously, but also housing policy so much in this recent state legislative session uh, that, as you know, as a listener, we've been talking a lot about here on the show, uh, but also things related to criminal justice policy, uh, tax policy, so much more. So say a little bit about the relationship between your county, Westchester, and the five boroughs of New York City. Give people a sense of um, how, how the relationship in terms of people, obviously so many people who at least pre-COVID, commuted into the city a lot. Maybe now that's that's significantly less so, obviously. But a lot of people who live in Westchester who work in the five boroughs, especially in Manhattan, and the relationship between your county and, and the city uh, in, in the most prominent ways that stick out to you. But it's interesting because uh, many times uh, for people who live in the city um, and for those who live in the suburbs, and I might add those who live upstate, wherever upstate begins, uh, we tend to generalize about the other regions of the state. And uh, the, the sense that uh, I have, uh, having gone to uh, college in the Bronx and grad school in, in Manhattan, having worked in Manhattan and the Bronx at various times in my career, and uh, you know, being in, quote unquote, the city regularly, is that the perception of the suburbs is sort of a generic sense that isn't actually borne up when you go to individual suburban environments. Rockland is not exactly like Westchester. 
Westchester is not exactly like Fairfield, Nassau, Suffolk, Bergen, Passaic. They're all different in their own ways. And they're different in the same ways that when I was a kid, because I, I went to college in the Bronx, I'd had this argument with my father who grew up in Brooklyn. And he would tell me how Brooklyn was so much better than the Bronx. Well, I really didn't know Brooklyn very well, but I knew the Bronx and, uh, you know, the Bronx Zoo and uh, uh, Botanical Gardens and the Yankees, even though I'm a Met fan. And I would argue for the borough and I saw the differences between the boroughs. I didn't see it as one monolithic New York City. When you get uh, further upstate, they view the city as one solid block and can't really differentiate that Manhattan is not exactly like Queens and the Bronx is not exactly like Brooklyn. So the same is true out in the suburbs. Westchester is a million people, puts us a little less population than Nassau or Suffolk. But we have a larger population by far than Rockland, Orange, Dutchess, the other Hudson Valley counties. We're bigger in population than Fairfield, and we're slightly bigger than Bergen and Passaic. So roughly speaking, we're, we're a large suburb. We are different in certain ways. We have the sh- we have we have the shortest commute from the heart of our county into Midtown Manhattan, and uh, that is a reason why some number of people who work in the city uh, come out to Westchester to live when they want you know more of a suburban lifestyle, and that does tend to kick in when you uh, when you have children and you want to have you know that kind of a family life. You can have a family life in the city. But, you know, you can have a family life in the suburbs that feels a bit different, and particularly if you're going to be in a single family home and so forth. Uh, We have in Westchester County a a very significant base of people who live here who are corporate executives, whether whether they're based in the city or at one of the corporations that are headquartered out here. We are the home for IBM, PepsiCo, MasterCard, Regeneron, uh, Heineken USA, yada, yada, yada. I don't want to sound like a... uh, promotional tourist guy or business promotion right. guy. But when you have that many major corporations based here and you have executives who live here, and some do live over the border in Fairfield County, um, it gives you a different flavor than you get if you're in the further extended suburbs outside of this. So I, I, I've argued that there is a um, uh, there's a connection between Westchester and uh, and the city and primarily the Bronx, Manhattan and a little bit of Brooklyn, where there seems to be a direct flow and connection between them. Uh, we watch and follow New York City media and, and almost to the point where the New York City media is more dominant in our world than some of the locally based media that we have. Uh, you know, the New York Times and New York Post and Daily News are as well read or more well read than any other paper out here. Uh, when I watch TV at night, I'm watching, you know, the major news stations. And when I turn on radio to get my radio news, I'm not listening to a Westchester based local station. I'm listening to the major all news stations based in New York. And so I do think that we take on more of a connection when we're here to the city. Now, if you're based in the city, you don't see that. As far as you're concerned, you know, the suburbs have this monolithic, we're lily white, we're exclusionary, uh, and some of the issues that you've covered that have come up, housing, uh, how we're handling asylum seekers. Westchester has had a very different take than the other suburbs, but we get lumped in together. Uh, and when the reporting, and I've seen some of the, the, the print articles that have reported on these issues, they'll interview somebody in Rockland and somebody in Nassau, elected official, maybe in northern New Jersey. They never seem to get to those of us in Westchester who have, you know, sort of a political footprint that looks a lot more like the city. We are we're a Democratic county. I'm a Democratic county executive. I beat uh, Rob Astorino uh, two, two cycles ago, and he is a prominent you know, individual. He had served two terms, he ran for governor against Andrew Cuomo, and uh, we beat him significantly and got reelected. And the politics of Westchester tracks much more democratic and much more progressively. But there, there is a suburban flavor to it. 
that doesn't look exactly like it would look if we were in a neighborhood uh, in, in the city, uh, anywhere in the outer boroughs or in Manhattan as well. And so it's a unique situation that we deal with out here. Say a little bit more about the the politics and the sort of shade of blue of Westchester, because you do have a very interesting mix. This is not just on politics, but it's on all sorts of uh, issues of demographics and diversity, because you have uh, some sizable cities in Westchester, and then you obviously have towns and villages, and, and you you have every you have all sorts of diversity of all kinds, including uh, that geographic diversity. Um, say say a little bit about. Sure how you capture that politics of Westchester, which again, as you say, has been trending more quote unquote blue, but it is a certain type of blue that mixes some of, uh, um, you know, often a deeper blue democratic tilt in some of the cities with, you know, some of the purple and even conservative nature of some of, of the towns and villages. And you also have, you know, some, uh, some hubs in Westchester that are more sort of art artist uh, areas. And right. you, you have a very interesting mix. Say, say a little bit about what that is sure. like and how you sort of balance that as, as a politician in the area and an elected official in the area. Well, the media, the media stereotype of Westchester is framed by certain things. You know, if you go back to when I was a young man, the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, he and Laura Petrie lived in New Rochelle. Uh, Don Draper from Mad Men. He lived in Ossining. Uh, the Facts of Life, uh, you know, with those characters, they were based in Peekskill. Those were all Westchester-based things. Maud with B. Arthur, that was based in Tuckahoe. Uh, and it gave you an ideal of suburban life, which got carried in, in the media. We are over 40% urbanized in Westchester County. So it's not one big the Cantico Hills estate. City of Yonkers, over 200,000 people. Uh, we have uh, both Mount Vernon and uh, White Plains that are 65,000 plus, 60 to 65,000 people each. And the city of New Rochelle is 80,000 people. What does that mean in practical terms? When we talk about housing starts uh, in the suburbs and, and our suburbs are well behind the suburbs around Washington, D.C. Or, or Boston, um, it doesn't take into account that in Westchester, we have been building significant both market segment and uh, affordable housing in and around those hubs in those locations. If you uh, were to get off the train in White Plains, you'd see cranes creating housing all around the White Plains train station. Ditto New Rochelle, ditto the Yonkers station down by the waterfront. Um, and uh, I, I think that element of urbanization in a, in a classic suburban county is significant and it does affect the public policy. We have um, urbanized villages like Porchester and Sleepy Hollow that are major a majority minority uh, population. We have a Hispanic population that is the largest demographic piece uh, both the village of Porchester, which runs about 35, 40,000 people, and the village of Sleepy Hollow. Mount Vernon, where I grew up, which is right on the border of the Bronx, is a majority African-American community. And anybody who's driving from the North Bronx, if they don't see the sign that says, welcome to Westchester, you wouldn't know that you had moved from the Bronx into Mount Vernon or into Yonkers or into New Rochelle coming in from the Bronx. So there's a lot about our county that looks urban in a way that New York City looks urban. Then when you go further up the line, Peekskill, uh, the city of the northern part of our county, is about 20,000 people, which uh, is more people in Kingston and and uh, competitive with some of the other upstate cities, uh, that city has a high uh, population that's uh, diverse, culturally diverse. In our elected officials, we have Andre Stewart-Cousins, who is the leader of the New York State Senate. She represents a district in Westchester County. She's been in office uh, 
uh, counting her county legislative set, uh, tenure, and I served with her there, then later in the state Senate. She's been in public office for almost 30 years as a black woman elected in, in a suburban environment. The leader of our assembly delegation, Gary Pretlow, has been in for about 30 years. We have uh, uh, two, at one point, two African-American congressmen. One of them, Jamal Bowman, is still in office. Mondaire Jones was in for a term. So uh, we've elected our first Asian-American, David Imamura, to the county legislature. And we have, uh, I think, six or seven people of color out of a, out of a legislature of 17. So politically, the quote-unquote minority groups are have much more electoral success in Westchester than you might see in other suburbs. Uh, so, so there's let, that let, element of it as let, well. Let me pause, pause you there on that and ask you about ways in which um, the housing conversation, affordable housing conversation, the diversity of Westchester, but also the sort of residential segregation of Westchester comes into play. How are you thinking about that and balancing that and taking the proposal from the governor, for example, for uh, basically, you know, requiring setting setting these growth targets again, not passed, obviously, uh, this legislative session, but wanting to see growth in every community, in part to encourage uh, availability of housing, in part to encourage more diversity in places where there is little, uh, in part to ensure that people can afford to return to a community maybe they grew up in and find some new housing that's not only based on their you know parents' ability to help them with a down payment and things like right. that. Um, but Westchester traditionally has also had questions around those residential uh, residential segregation. How are you managing the fact that you have a county that has all this diversity that you were discussing some of, but also residential patterns that are still significantly segregated in many ways? Well, if you look at the uh, the political structure, you go back to the eight years prior to the beginning of my term, which is five and a half years ago, and my predecessor, Rob Astorino, uh, conservative Republican, you know, uh, you know, classic philosophies that would define his uh, his party ran on those philosophies for governor uh, did not uh, believe that the county should be involved in uh, advancing affordable housing or to any extent housing in general. We changed those policies in, in uh, uh, 2018 when we came in. We settled a long established lawsuit in which he was suing HUD over uh, an arrangement that was made to deal with just what you've said, some of the uh, housing patterns that existed previously that was segregated. And, uh, you know, it is a it is a work in progress, but we've made significant strides. If you take a snapshot of where we are today, you'd say, well, there's still quite a bit of that patterning. But you'd have to go back and take a snapshot of eight years ago or seven, nine years ago to show how much progress has been made in how many different locations. We have, uh, as one example, uh, a site uh, that was an old General Motors plant on the Hudson River bordering Tarrytown and Sleepy Hollow, two villages, not not big cities, villages, about 10, 11,000 people each. And uh, we have a major uh, housing complex that's gone up over there. Uh, some of it's about 40 percent open now, Ben, and more of it is coming. That is a sign of something that might not have happened 10 or 12 years ago, or some of the development in downtown Portchester might not have happened 10 or 12 years ago that is happening now. And that is the progress that's being made. Now, we do have 
a number of communities, and they're well-known, and they're high-profile names, like Bronxville and Scarsdale, where we have uh, smaller villages, very wealthy population. And if you just went into Bronxville or Scarsdale and you interview people on the street, which is sometimes what the media will do, you will get an impression of what of what Westchester is like today. But the but the better impression is to be more inclusive, to see what's happening in Ossining and Mamaroneck and uh, uh, in uh, Mount Kisco and in Chappaqua, Newcastle, because there have been progress made in all of those areas with affordable housing, diverse projects. And I think we're heading in the in the correct direction to deal with the needs as you describe it. One of the problems that we have, uh, and, and the housing compact highlighted this, and this is where the suburbs are in some ways different and in some ways not different from urban neighborhoods. Uh, it is very difficult to tell people uh, what they will do in their backyard. And you find that whenever they try to place a facility in a neighborhood in New York City, the neighbors of that neighborhood uprise. They don't want this in their neighborhood. I see this an issue right now in Harlem in the Congress in the city council race about the number of placements of different types of facilities in Harlem. Neighbors don't want it. You have that same reality uh, in Westchester and in the suburbs. Whenever you mandate uh, something, you say, well, we're going to override your local zoning because zoning and land use is, is what helps shape the flavor of a community. The argument with the housing compact is not that uh, we shouldn't have more diverse housing, but is how do we get there? What's what's the best strategy? And and my strategy has been to do this in a cooperative level where you incentivize and you gain compliance voluntarily and, and we show progress in that area. And the reason why that works better, in my judgment, is that you get more cooperation and therefore more units. When you have to go to court and fight and battle five, six, 10 years, and you get a 40 unit complex in, that means that every every inch of ground that you gain in this effort is gonna take a lot of money and a lot of time. If you can come up with strategies that help incentivize that, and it's not an across the board incentive. You can't say, here's a standard incentive, do this and you'll get this. You have to customize it to the particular project and the particular site, and that's what helps make it happen. But it's a different kind of hands-on work, and it takes more work to do that. And, and it's not as easy as saying, well, we're going to override zoning. We're going to tell those racists out in the suburbs they're going to have to do this. It's convincing people that their economic interest is tied into diversity, that their economic interest is tied into keeping the workforce local so that the business stays local or the business will relocate to North Carolina. And, and if you use the right set of strategies, you can do, I think, what we've done which is make progress on housing, make progress on the economy, and still have a progressive voting reality when election day comes around. It doesn't have to be my way or the other way. I suppose some of the question uh, that then arises is, is it enough progress? And that's some of where the governor came down to say, if you do it only through incentives, we see that lots of uh, communities that don't really wanna grow, that are more exclusionary in different ways, simply will not take the incentives, simply do not want to change. And that stifles growth for the whole state. It keeps places exclusionary um, and, and you get those sounds. So is there enough progress? Is the progress fast enough? How do you speed it up if you are going to keep it under local control? Do you have strategies in place that you're undertaking to say, we need more growth in certain parts of this county perhaps especially around uh, mass transit uh, stops. And that was part of the governor's plan, obviously, transit-oriented right. development. But again, to come in and say around those mass transit stops of the MTA, there must be 
changes in in zoning to allow for a certain amount of housing density. So how do you how do you ensure that you'll get enough progress? How do you ensure that again for the investments that the state and the MTA are making in commuter rail that there's housing, you know, that that makes sense for the state writ large that comes into play with that mass transit? Well, I'll give you the, the the strategy that I think works, and then I'll tell you why I think that the strategy that we have pursued up to this point wasn't received well. The strategy that works, in my opinion, is the same strategy that was used by Governor Cuomo when he wanted there to be a police uh, reform assessment. You may recall that he tasked every um, um, jurisdiction that had a police department to uh, impanel a police reform task force, and they were to look at the operations of their police force, and they were to make recommendations and submit a plan to Albany for review. Now, when you require every jurisdiction in New York State, there's 10,000, there's 45 different governments in Westchester County, so you multiply that out by uh, 57 counties, and you got a heck of a lot of jurisdictions to have to review. But uh, we started that process actually before the governor mandated it, and then we, we took what we were doing and meshed it into his mandate. But what came out of that were plans that did different things in different communities. But all of those plans advanced the review of police work in their particular community. And what it does, Ben, is it takes into account the unique realities of a situation. I believe that is the strategy that will work in housing. You task every one of my 45 communities, I don't own them, but the 45 communities in my jurisdiction to come up with a plan. I I, I thought the goals were fine. 3% increase, great. Um, Now, Come back to us with a plan about how you intend to reach it. If you if you can do it with uh, transit oriented development, then you specify that. If you can do it by uh, 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 converting business uh, uh, office buildings into residential or building a residential facility with parking on a site where right now you have a grade level parking lot, use that as a strategy. Have a strategy for rehabilitation across the board. You have a lot of these communities that don't have much open space. They may not have office buildings. So what do you have to do? You have to go down a street and rehabilitate and add units with a rehabilitation program. All of these kinds of strategies uh, then come down to the town, the village, and the county to be able to articulate, submit, and then they get reviewed by the professionals in uh, HCR. And then and then the 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 sort of the uh, stick and carrot element of it isn't broad-based stick and carrot. It isn't, we're going we're gonna to throw a stick at everybody. We'll throw a stick and a carrot where it works to add units along the lines. And it's, it's harder to do it. I don't, I don't underestimate the work involved in this, but that's the way, in my judgment, you'd have it work. Now, why, why is that the more likely way to work than the broad-based way? When you put a circle of two miles around a a mass transit site and you say, okay, this is where you can develop uh, housing. You have the Hudson line that goes through Westchester County along the Hudson River. You draw a two mile radius around it. Well, guess what? Half of the radius is in the Hudson River. So that doesn't work. And then on the other side, the eastern side of where those train stations are, those are steep slopes. And you'd have to see the geography to know it. I know it. I live with it all the time. But the train station for Hastings is next to the river and it's a steep slope up to Route 9. And the same is true in Dobbs Ferry, Irvington, right up the line. You go to a different part of the county. You go to the northern part of the Harlem line, which is sort of north central in the county. We have watershed land around the train stations that that feed into the reservoir system that New York City and Westchester drink from. So you can't do uh, you can't do TOD housing in those locations. 
the envisionment is sort of like there's a train that goes through a flat piece of land and you could draw a two mile circle around that station and you could you could do it in tents. And I've seen that happen when I lived in Northern Virginia, when they take the metro line and they bring it out to uh, Franconia Springfield. If you know that geography, there's nothing out there. And so you can build concentrated housing and retail around that metro stop as they did in King Street and then in Franconia. That's not the way it works when the trains were laid out in Westchester County back in the 1830s by the New York Central and the New Haven Hartford Railroad. But in some communities, you have that kind of uh, TOD development that's happening. So you incentivize it where it works. Port Chester, Mamaroneck, New Rochelle, Yonkers, Tarrytown, Sleepy Hollow, Ossining. I know I'm getting, I found like a Metro North conductor here and I apologize. <laughs> no, but, no, it's good. But but you understand what I'm saying. I, I don't profess to know the geography of Suffolk County nor of uh, Nassau County, but I know the geography of Westchester County. So you engage those of us who do and you develop a plan that's practical, that can work in Westchester County, what happens in NASA is going to look different. But the bottom line is you do need housing units and you need a ton more housing units. Let me also mention the obvious, because we're not just in a nonpartisan setting here. I'm a Democrat. I'm com- I am committed to the same uh, public philosophies that Democrats are about the need for us to take government and help solve problems. And housing is a problem. Some of the opposition you had in the suburbs was not because they were suburban. It's because almost all of my colleagues are Republicans and they're conservative and they don't believe in these things. So let's not misread what the problem is. The problem is not a geographic mindset. It is a political mindset. And we have to win hearts and minds of the people in the middle. And people like Laura Kern, who was the county executive of Nassau County, would have been a hell of a lot more responsive to this plan than Bruce Blakeman was. I'm not negative to Bruce Blakeman. Bruce Blakeman's a conservative Republican. He does a rally for Daniel uh, Penny. That's where he is. That's where he's at. Uh, I'm at a different place. And that also defines how we've responded to the asylum seekers issue. We respond differently because we come from a different philosophy. But you can't look at the suburbs and say, well, based on your geography, you're all this, when in fact there's a political effort that has to be made to sell it. And if you can do that, then Ben, I think think you can make progress. Have we made enough progress? No, we probably will never make enough progress, but we're making progress significantly. And I think if we're on this path, not just for five and a half years, but for another 10 years, you'll see us contributing dramatically to the to the housing need in the state. So so let's let's follow this a little more. I want to come back to the asylum seekers and let's make sure we have have time for that before we say goodbye. But um, uh, we still have we still have a few minutes. Uh, Part of my sort of assessment, and and you may have heard this as I've asked questions of of others on this show, especially state senators and the state housing commissioner, Ruth Ann Viznauskas and others. But part of my assessment is that the governor didn't do nearly enough to sell her housing plan as you said, sort of win people over. But your contention is it's just the wrong plan for a lot of places, including most of Westchester. And what we really need to sell people on is sort of this different version of a housing growth plan. Um, what What's your assessment of that? Was there a way, again, I don't think the governor ever expected her original p- proposal to pass in full, but was there a way for the governor to have better come into local communities talked with people more, sold her plan better, worked on changes to it, but still be able to hold on to some of those essential elements of what she believes is key to the state actually meeting important housing growth 
uh, targets and, and flourishing, you know, for the future. Was there any way there that you think that could have happened in a compromised version that still stayed true to the fundamentals of her plan if she had come in and sold it better and won people over more? Or is it just never going to happen and it's not going to happen in the future either? Well, what I think the governor did that was important is she raised the issue in the first place because we were not talking about the problems with significant housing starts. She put that in her state of the state message. I was sitting in the in the chamber when she said that, and that was important. And she also laid out an important marker, which is a numerical goal of what we have to get to. And a 3% number, I think, is a reachable number. Uh, it would make a significant improvement. And I think, I think in that, she started off by setting out the right structure. Now, I've learned, you know, in my tenure, and I'm, as I said, five and a half years in this job, and I'm, you know, I'm learning every day. Uh, if something I do doesn't work exactly the way I want, then I go back to the drawing board and how do I reconfigure it? I don't spend a lot of time on what I should have done a month ago. I try to figure out, okay, next time around, how do I reconfigure this? And I think that opportunity is there. I think there is still a, a willingness uh, in, in certain areas for us to to reconfigure the effort and still have it work to move forward, assuming that you have political leadership that is willing to work with you. And, and perhaps the next step that happens is a pilot program with those governments, those municipalities. If it isn't a county, uh, it could be a, a, a large town that has the willingness to work on this. And then we work with the pilot program where the incentives that the state is prepared to do is targeted, as I was describing before, this and I'm, I'm not being generic about it. I've mentioned a couple of those different things: the conversion of office space, rehabilitation, uh, and then and then targeted resources. Obviously, make these things. And I think that plan can work going forward. And and I think probably that's what's happening right now. That uh, uh, Ruth Vishnashkis uh, and the governor are talking about these issues, and they're looking at how they reconfigure this in a way that can work. The the reaction that we have to also appreciate. And I did spend uh, 13 years in the state legislature. I was an assemblyman and a senator before I became county executive. Things take time in Albany. I saw that firsthand and we know it now. Almost nothing on the first blush gets through. So now the question is, where do you build on on, on what happened this time around mm -hmm. to reconfigure the proposal and then make the proposal uh, more acceptable the next time around so you have a better chance of passing it? Next year is an election year for the state legislators. They're going to be more anxious, I think, to want to find something concrete that they can do. And and so I, I think there is an opportunity the next time around with a reconfiguration of the plan to have it work. And, and I look forward to working with the state leadership to do that. If there is something that you say to state leadership on that in terms of the county executive <laughs> Latimer uh, advice on what that is, it is it, it it's just scrap the idea of mandates and let's figure out the details of a plan that doesn't include requirements and, and potential overrides and just start from a place that, that doesn't have that. But your uh, working, you know, with localities in a way that responds to local needs in a in a more uh, you know uh, tailored approach. Yeah, I, I think it is customizing the the approach. Uh, you know, you hate to say you know project by project, community by community, but to tailor it so that you're taking into account the unique realities of each individual place. Let me give you one a quick example on COVID. Uh, at one point in time, uh, Mayor de Blasio mandated that all of the workforce of New York City had to be vaccinated. 
And uh, that became the rage. A couple of other jurisdictions picked it up as well. And you had people who wouldn't do it and they resigned and you lost, you know, uh, public workers, police, fired other places. Uh, I got on the phone with my executive team. We talked to every one of the union leaders of our major unions and every one of them says, don't mandate it. So I said, well, we need people vaccinated. Can we come up with an alternate plan that is flexible? And we did. And we made it easily available for people to get vaccinated. And we did it in a way that didn't put a gun to their head. And we wound up with a higher percentage of vaccination than we probably would have gotten if we mandated it. Did we get 100 percent? No. But of course, New York City didn't get 100 percent either. Uh, in doing it, we maintain the relationship with the workforce, which is essential because we're still negotiating with them on union contracts and other work-related situations. And we had over an 85% vaccination rate. Now, you know, you can go too far comparing Westchester to New York or Westchester to Putnam. They're all different jurisdictions. But I found the strength, not in the mandate, but in the persuasion. You must remember my corporate background is a sales and marketing executive. Mm -hmm. So we're accustomed to trying to talk you into signing a contract rather than saying you'll do this under legal threat. But it worked on that uh, experience and it it informed the way we approached ourselves on some of these other issues. Uh, And I think it's, uh, I think that's sort of the reconfiguration that can work. And I'm certainly willing to be helpful in that process within my jurisdiction. You brought up uh, earlier, and I wanted to ask you about this, sort of the the two uh, counties in Long Island, uh, Nassau and Suffolk. And we've seen really divergent political paths here recently for your county in Westchester and uh, those counties on Long Island, which have gone much more Republican. The governor's uh, race, if I remember correctly, in Westchester, Governor Hochul in this past election won by a a smaller margin than Governor Cuomo had previously. But generally, the trend still has been that Westchester has been getting more Democratic. And we've seen some real trends in on Long Island of of moving towards Republicans. Now, some of that is clearly about uh, something you mentioned, which is winning over some of the independents and the persuadables. There's another piece of that, which is turnout, which is getting your party voters out to vote and giving them something to vote for. Say a little bit about how you see that political landscape and how you see those two pieces of it, because I think that's been a bit of an under-discussed element of what's happened in in this, at least this recent election gubernatorial. There's been some attention on it, but Lee Zeldin and Republicans turned out their Republican base and Governor Hochul and Democrats did not turn out their Democratic base. And then there's also the group that's, you know, the quote unquote swing voter and the independents. And we've seen shifts there. Give a little your assessment about how that's played out in Westchester and how you see that as opposed to uh, some of what's happened on Long Island. You know, there's something fundamentally different that attracts a person philosophically to be a Democrat than a person who's, who's a Republican. And you could argue that it's simply how they view the role of government in the society. In general, a Democrat believes that government is a tool to help deal with societal issues, and the Republicans view government as an obstruction to the individual maximizing their their life, and that they want to shrink government, and they want to have government be less uh, regulatory, and Democrats want to see government help solve problems in ways that may involve them expanding their authority and their scope if it, if it deals with it. Um, what happens is Democrats with this desire to to solve a problem, there's a lot of different problems and a lot of different Democrats cluster some around the environmental issues, some around uh, the law enforcement uh, issues, some folks around uh, issues that are social justice or dealing with the 
you know, particular demographic group. Republicans' messages are much more cohesive because they want to see a smaller government, a less intrusive government, and, and, and that portion of their core connects to it. What that means for me is that I have to, as the county executive of this county, try to manage not just the government of, of the county, the day-to-day way that we provide our services, but I've got to manage messaging. And, and I cannot let the other side define us uh, first. And and I think what has happened where Democrats have slid backwards in the last few years is that we have forgotten that people vote more on their feelings and their emotions than they do on their rational assessment of public policy. So when we have a long debate about a public policy issue, there's a lot of people don't pay attention to that. People pay attention to very simple themes that matter to them in their lives. I would argue that in all of the suburbs, the theme of taxes and the theme of crime is a dominant theme in people's minds. By the way, I think it also matters a lot in the city. Certainly crime does. And cost of living in the city is a little bit different because most people rent rather than own their own uh, home. When you own your own home, you pay a tax bill and that that can be a concern. So for me to be successful in Westchester County in this position and to help advance success of other uh, Democrats who are running, we have to deal first with those two issues. We stabilized our finances in Westchester and we were able to cut property taxes a little bit and the county property taxes doesn't affect the school taxes. We've cut the county property taxes. We have seen a reduction in crime here in the suburbs. Lots of reasons. I don't take personal credit for it, but I push back when the other side tries to say your party is the party that lets criminals go free. No, we, we have effectively used our police work to reduce the amount of crime. Once you deal with those two issues effectively in the suburbs and you work every day at messaging, then we can do a host of progressive things, which frankly in Westchester County, only New York City has done. We've we've established access to counsel so that people who are indigent can have access to legal representation when they face eviction. We've made free buses uh, over the summertime. We did it last year, we did it this year. New York is talking about trying to make bus fares free on some routes. We've made our full bus system free for July and August. Unfortunately, I haven't seen much New York City coverage of that fact, Mm -hmm. but that is a very progressive thing we've done. We have taken our bus fleet and we've converted it to electric or hybrid electric, all of it. You know, no no diesel buses uh, in Westchester County. That That hasn't gotten reported either. So you can do a heck of a lot of progressive things, a lot more than just that. Um, But if you can handle those two basic issues and you can message on it, if you fail to message on it, what the Republicans have done very well, Lee Zeldin did this very well. He took incidents of crime, bad crimes, ugly crimes, and he made it clear to people that this was the trend. And he was going to push back against that trend. And that registered with a lot of suburban voters in in all of the suburban counties, except for Westchester County. We pushed back. We have our own message. We drive our own message. And when you drive the message, Ben, yes, you use the traditional media, you use social media, and sometimes you use old fashioned interacting with voters because out the suburbs, because the density isn't quite as big as it is in the city, you go to meetings and you meet people, you talk to people. I'm available, meet and greet and coffee and conversations. And you win people over in small pockets as well as in large groups. And you've got to do that. And if you can do that, you can stem the tide. We've had good political result in Westchester County for the Democratic side. By the way, I get along great with my Republicans here in the county. We work together where they're in public office, where they run a town here, or they have uh, seats in the county legislature. We're not at war. We disagree on some policy measures, but if we can work out a public policy message, we do. And, And we soften this culture war, this information war, 
that benefits the other side because when they can divide the world into two pockets and work the emotion on their side of the aisle, they get the turnout and we don't. When we can show that what we're doing makes common sense, then I think we have a better chance for success. It's worked for us and I think it can work elsewhere. Last few questions for you and I'll let you go. Um, You're about to, as I said in the introduction, give your uh, 2023 state of the county address. Any couple of things without going into lots of details, but any couple of things you want to uh, preview in case people get a chance to listen to this before you give that speech? A couple of highlights of anything people should uh, you know, know are, are coming in in that speech? Well, I think what we what I just mentioned a second ago conceptually uh, is one of the messages we're going to show, which is we've done a very good job in Westchester in uh, working cooperatively, not just the county government, in reducing crime. And and when you have safer streets, you can then invest in building your downtown economics. We have lots of small downtowns. We've done a uh, a grant program in some of our smaller villages, and we intend to expand that as our resources allow us to to uh, to build back up the economics. Uh, we have obviously looked at issues that relate to the environment as being very important and and different strategies to reduce our carbon footprint. We think that's important in a county like ours. And by the way, even people who are registered Republicans respond on environmental issues. We had one of the highest uh, uh, percentage totals in favor of the Environmental Bond Act. And we know we got crossover Republican and uh, independent support for that. So we're going to highlight some of those initiatives as well. And I think uh, the fact that we embrace the diversity of Westchester County and we see it not just as a moral good, but it's also an economic good. We grow our economy here. We bounce back from COVID a lot faster than other places have because we recognize that there's a growing market to provide services and to consume services from demographics that may not have existed that much. Asian American community, the growth of the Hispanic community, how we deal with the LGBTQ community. If if we're inclusive and involving, we get a stronger economy out of that. And I think that's going to be part of our message. The stronger the economy, the better we can handle the tax concerns that people have. Let me come back to this question of Westchester County accepting some asylum seekers uh, of, of the many tens of thousands that have come into New York City over the last year. What are you doing on that front? Well, our response is very different, I think, from our neighboring counties. We did not uh, you know, issue any executive order, all of which were determined to be unconstitutional. Uh, we indicated to uh, the New York City folks that uh, we would work with them where they had placements. They've had three placements so far in our county, uh, a group in Yonkers, a group in White Plains, and now a group in Ardsley. And uh, when we say work with them, it means uh, provide certain services that a county government provides, Department of Health Services, assessment, vaccination, uh, deal with health issues, uh, the ability to provide backup security beyond whatever localized security that they have. Uh, and then we know that they're going to need uh, wraparound services for language, for legal, uh, you know, going through the um, – Uh, The immigration process is very hard and complicated. And so we're working with uh, New York City and the people that they have tasked with managing these three sites, as opposed to throwing up barriers and uh, and avoiding the rhetoric. We know that there's a division in the society over the issue of immigration. It's pretty profound. Uh, President Trump talked about building a big, beautiful wall. And a lot of people believe that that is the way we handle immigration. We, We don't believe in that. 
We also know that we don't have the capacity to handle unlimited immigration, and nor does New York City, by the way. Uh, and I think the national, the failure to have a national policy that deals with this nationally is important. You can't just put people in Texas on buses to New York City alone and just sort of skip past Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Joplin, Missouri. And that's what you have right now, because it's a political response, not, not a governmental response to this. But we think so far uh, what we've done works. There have been no incidents of crime. There have been no uh, uh, incidents of spread of disease. And I think what you're going to find in the short term is that we can manage this to some degree. Now, the federal government has to make sure there's work waivers that that happen. They have to, in my judgment, create satellite immigration courts. We should have one here at the district courthouse in White Plains uh, in order to adjudicate these cases faster. If we do these things properly, we can manage through this process. But if we just go on sort of uh, repeating what's been done the year before and the year before after that, then this thing will morph into something much more problematic. That uh, expedited work permitting seems to be obviously such a big consensus, but it doesn't seem to be moving the needle. I don't know if you think there needs to be a bigger chorus from, you know, just all sorts of state and local officials like yourself and and obviously Mayor Adams and others, yeah. or if there's any anything uh, to 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 make an impact there. But that seems to be one of the most important sticking points, it is. including in potentially changing some people's opposition, because if they know people can arrive and work, you know, that's right. very often a different uh, calculation. It is. And we have we have entry level jobs that go wanting the current workforce in our in our area does not want to do these jobs. That's why there's signs up in the diners. And, you know, uh, we, we need people to do certain things. They may be entry level jobs, but they're a starting off point <laughs> for someone who's coming into the society, trying to learn the language and trying to function in the society. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't moved forward, Ben. Uh, I wish I did. And if there's uh, if there's a phone call I could pick up and make, I'd do it right now. Last question for you. Uh, you are obviously focused on governing. You're focused on uh, the state of the county address you're about to give. But you are in your second and final term as county executive. Are you considering a next step politically? There's some buzz about you maybe running for Congress in next year's election to uh, potentially try to unseat uh, Republican Congressman Mike Lawler, who defeated Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, there's been there was a bit of speculation that you were going to be a lieutenant governor candidate uh, in last year's election before a lot of things shifted there. What are you thinking about your future? Is a congressional run on the table? Uh, and if not, w what is? Right now, I want to be general manager of the New York Mets and straighten oh. out this mess. Steve Cohen has got a lot of money invested. They're not playing well, and I know just how to turn the team around. Ben, get me that job, and I'll take it. All right. Well, we will we will work on that for you. The Mets could use some help. We'll check back in on the on the political question down the line. Uh, Westchester County Executive George Latimer, thanks for all the time and thoughts. Appreciate the conversation. Let's stay in touch. Great, Ben. My pleasure. <laughs>